You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. God of all compassion, we praise you for the gift of your great mercy, for visiting and saving your people and forgiving our sins in Jesus Christ. May we serve you without fear, in holiness and righteousness, in your presence, all our days. Amen. Well, over this Christmas season, people right around the world, including I know some of you here, are playing a particular game. You're playing a game called Bad Santa. Now, if you're not familiar with Bad Santa, it's pretty much Secret Santa, but with the option to steal someone else's gift. And here's a tip, right? If you want to avoid your gift being stolen, contain your joy. Contain your joy. Because if everyone sees just how much you love your gift, I can guarantee you they're coming for it. So contain your joy. But... There are some gifts, right, that are just so good that we simply cannot contain our joy. So when our BLT small group played Bad Santa a fortnight ago, and we all saw Josiah's excitement at opening a mini vacuum cleaner from JB Hi-Fi, which I bought, we all knew one thing, steal that gift. Because there are some gifts that are just so good we cannot contain our joy. In fact, some gifts are so good that to contain our joy would actually be wrong, wouldn't it? I mean, how else could we respond to so great a gift other than in joy, thankfulness, and praise? You see, if my gift to Josiah was that $14 mini vacuum cleaner, his gift to me was his uncontainable joy. And as we're about to see in Luke's Christmas history today, if God's gift to us is his mercy, then our gift to him must be our praise. Because God's mercy is so good a gift that to contain our joy would actually be wrong. I mean, how else could we respond to his mercy other than in joy, thankfulness, worship and praise? You see, friend, if you're not a Christian or if you're not sure if you're a Christian, I want you to know that God is offering you the greatest gift you could ever receive. It's a gift so good that it would actually be tragic. It would actually be sinful to reject it. And for all of us Christians, I mean, how in the world could we live each and every day without an uncontainable joy in the mercies of God? And it's that mercy that opens our passage today. It's that mercy which is God's gift to us. I wonder if you remember what's happened so far in Luke's gospel. An angel of the Lord has appeared to Zechariah. He and his wife Elizabeth will bear a child. And this child will prepare the way for God himself. Six months later, the same angel now appears... But this time he appears to a virgin named Mary. And he promises that she too will bear a son. And this son will be God himself. 
that great Christmas miracle that God will come to us as one of us. So the question for us now is this. Will God pull through? Will God deliver on his promise? And in verse 57, right on time, that's exactly what he does. Look with me. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth and she had a son. You see, friends, everything is happening just as God had planned. Now we need to understand, right, in that time and at that place, it was ordinary to circumcise a newborn boy on the eighth day. And it was ordinary to give him a name from within the family. Now I know Jeremy Kane's not here today, but let's just use Jeremy as an example. Jeremy's full name is Jeremy Jeffrey Kane, just like his father is Gavin Jeffrey Kane, though one is spelt with a J and the other spelt with a G. You see, in one sense, many families today will have names that they keep within the family and they'll name after one another. It was ordinary then to do the same. But John is no ordinary child. My gosh, he's the miracle child who prepare the way for God himself. And so Mary responds, no, he'll be called John. I wonder if you noticed how Luke describes what God is doing here. Look at verse 58. It says that the Lord had shown her his great mercy. Or literally, the Lord enlarged his mercy to her. I mean, just think about that. Isn't it a beautiful picture of who God is? That it's always been in God's nature to show mercy. That at the heart of who God is, He is nothing if not merciful. By His very character, He gives to us that which we do not deserve. And He doesn't stop there, right? For in the gospel, He enlarges, He expands, He extends His mercy. And God is enlarging His, mer enlarging his mercy to Elizabeth by giving her her own son. And as we'll see in Luke's gospel, God is ex extending and enlarging his mercy to us by giving us his own son. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. You see, in, in enlarging his mercy, God is on the cusp of performing the Christmas miracle which will rewrite human history. And for a miracle so great, he wants the whole world to be watching. Did you notice the neighbors and relatives in this story? In verse 58, they heard the news and rejoiced with Elizabeth. In verse 63, they were all amazed. In verse 65, fear or awe came on all those who lived around them. And all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. And in verse 66, all who heard about him took it to heart. You see, God is about to orchestrate the most public miracle for a very particular purpose. He wants the whole world to be spectators to the mercies of God. I wonder if you can tell the anticipation that Luke is creating here. He is inviting us to ask with these neighbors and relatives, what then will this child become? You see, we might not yet know what's going to happen in the rest of this gospel. But we do know and we notice that there is something special about this child. 
we can tell that God is at work. We can see that the Lord's hand was with him. You see, Luke is whetting our appetite. He's preparing us to witness the decisive event around which human history will quite literally orbit. B.C., before the birth of Christ. Luke wants to grab our attention and he wants you and I right now to be spectators to the mercies of God. A number of years ago, I was traveling in New Zealand with my family and, and we took one of those extremely long, unending cruises around the South Island to see Milford Sound, that spectacular inlet which Rudyard Kipling once described as the eighth wonder of the world. And I remember sitting on deck, reading my book, when suddenly, out of nowhere, a tour guide ran out and shouted, quickly, everyone, come quickly, we're about to pass by the sound. This is what you've been waiting for. You won't want to miss it. Can I tell you, he wasn't wrong at all. Because we stood there on the balcony as we passed by what had to be one of the most beautiful and spectacular and breathtaking sights in the world. Do you see, that tour guide whetted our appetite. He caught our attention and he was preparing us for the main event. And so the moment comes when John is born. Now remember, Zechariah was struck dumb for the last nine months, but now he suddenly speaks. Look at verse 64. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. Do you see, Zechariah moves from silence to praise. His mouth is opened. His tongue set free for one purpose and one purpose alone. To praise God. To praise God. You see, but for the praise of God, Zechariah would have no words to speak. And surely this has to be a picture of the only right response to the mercies of God. This has to be a picture of how we are to respond to the birth of Christ. For if God's gift to us is his mercy, then our gift to him must be our praise. Fellow Christian, God's mercy is a gift that's so good that to contain our joy would actually be wrong. It would actually be sinful. I mean, how else could we respond to his mercy other than like Zechariah? In joy, thankfulness, worship and praise. You know, I go online and I see on Instagram every young mum posting picture after picture of their newborn child. And if Instagram and indeed the internet existed in the first century, I can guarantee you that that is exactly what Elizabeth would be doing. She would be announcing this great gift of new life so that her neighbours and her relatives and everyone in her life might rejoice with her. She would want the whole world to witness the mercies of God. Well, how much more then should you and I, who have received new life in Jesus, want our family and friends to rejoice with us? How, how much more should we long for every tribe to witness the mercies of God? You know, it's so easy to look at evangelism, to look at sharing the gospel as a requirement of duty. But here we see that sharing the gospel is actually an expression of delight. 
It's the overflow of a heart brimming with a joy at the mercies of God. As Christians, you and I, we are to be that tour guide who runs out onto the deck of human history and exclaims to all our friends, quickly everyone, come quickly. We're about to witness the mercies of God. This is what you've been waiting for. You won't want to miss it. See, friends, I wonder if our family and friends see in us a joy that cannot be contained. Even if they don't yet understand the gospel, I wonder if they can see that you and I have received a gift so good that we simply cannot contain our joy. Will your mouth be opened? Will your tongue be set free for one purpose and one purpose alone? Will you solely speak to the praise of God for the gift of His mercy? Will you be like Zechariah, who but for the praise of God Almighty would not utter another word? And if you're not a Christian, God wants to catch your attention today. He wants you to be like the neighbors and relatives in this Christmas history. He wants you to receive His gift of mercy. He wants you to share in our rejoicing. Well, if God's gift to us is His mercy, then our gift to Him must be our praise. And that's exactly what pours forth from Zechariah's mouth. Just look down at verses 68 to 79, because here Zechariah is about to praise God in a prophecy of uncontainable joy. But as you read that, and as you heard Rian read that, you might have noticed something about this song just isn't quite right. Something about this praise just doesn't sit well. Did you notice it? God has just given Zechariah a child of his own. The miracle child that he thought he would never have. But then what does Zechariah do? He praises God not for John, but for Jesus. I mean, just imagine what Elizabeth as the mother must think. Like, Zach, I know that all babies look the same, but you've got the wrong kid here. And yet, Elizabeth herself would be joining this song of praise. For she too recognizes that her son is the warm-up act for the main event. God's great gift of mercy is shown not in John, but in Jesus. And so as we read these verses, I want you to see that this is now a model of how you and I might respond in praise to God for His Christmas miracle. Firstly, Zechariah praises God, for God has visited. God has visited. Just look at verse 68. Uh, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has visited and provided redemption for His people. Just last night when I was on Facebook procrastinating before bed, I saw one of those videos that pops out every Christmas. And it's one of those videos where there are soldiers serving abroad while their families celebrate Christmas back in the States or in Australia without them. And they're sad. They think, if only my dad or my mum who's out on the field were with us during this season. And as every video ends, the great surprise is always that the soldiers pay a surprise visit to each of their families. And it's a remarkably poignant moment. 
as we realize the greatest gift that anyone can give is themselves. The giver themselves is the gift. And the greatest gift, the, the greatest mercy that God can give us is God Himself. So Zechariah praises God for visiting His people. He praises God for coming to us as one of us. Now you might think, what's so good about that? God just decides to casually drop in or swing by. Is that what really Luke means by God visiting His people? No, whenever God visits, He comes with a purpose. He comes with a plan. He comes to redeem. Because this isn't the first time that God has visited His people. You know, back in Genesis 21, the Lord visited Sarah in her childlessness to give her a son. And in Exodus 4, the Lord visited Israel in its slavery to deliver them out of Egypt. You see, Zechariah is praising God for all those times that he has visited and provided redemption for his people. This prayer of praise is bookended by the visitation of God. Look down, right? In verse 68, Zechariah praises God for he has visited. And now in verse 78, he praises God for he will visit. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. You see what Zechariah is saying? Once again, God is on His way. Once again, God is coming to visit His people. Once again, He is coming to deliver His people. But this time, it'll be different. This time, He's visiting once and for all. This time, He's visiting to irreversibly redeem our world. This will be the visit after which no further visit will be needed. It's as if the soldier comes home to meet his family, but this time when he comes, the war has been won. The nation has been saved, and the soldiers now return home to their families, never to leave again. You see, Zechariah paints a picture of our world, the world in which you and I now live, a world sitting in darkness, living in the shadow of death. You don't have to be a Christian to see this, do you? As we look around our world, we can see that it is afflicted by sin and sickness, by disease and disaster. And God is on His way, not simply to shine one small light in the darkness, but to dispel the darkness altogether. Jesus is that dawn from on high, that, that morning sun who will rise as a new day breaks and the shadows flee away. This is the day that the whole world has been waiting for. This is the day on which darkness will be dispelled, death will be defeated, and the world will finally enjoy the life and peace it has so longed for forever. This is the day that the prophet Malachi anticipated 400 years earlier, when the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. You know, I've been singing Christmas carols my whole life. But truth be told, I never really understood what any of them meant. Because so often the lyrics were so obscure. And who really knows what the Son of Righteousness is? 
Well, here it is, because after this sermon, we're going to stand and sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And there we will sing, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. You see, when we sing that carol, we are joining in Zechariah's song of praise that finally Jesus is God visiting His people to redeem the world for good. Zechariah praises God, for God will visit. And he praises God, for God will save. He praises God, for God will save. For just as God saved Israel in the past, verse 71, from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us, He will now save us from the greatest enemy of all. Verse 77, through the forgiveness of our sins. Do you see what Zechariah is doing? He's zeroing in on the heart of our problem. He is highlighting the single reason why our world is living in the shadow of death. Our greatest problem is that you and I are sinners in need of salvation. Our greatest problem is that our sin condemns us. Just the other day, I was walking through the supermarket and I saw a large banner over the Christmas aisle that said, Christmas, the season of joy. But in a parallel universe, that banner might actually read, Christmas, the season of judgment. I don't think it would be good marketing though. Because all things equal, God shouldn't be coming to us as our saviour. He should be coming to us as our judge. He should be coming not to forgive sins, but to condemn and judge sin. But ironically, that's what makes Christmas such a joyful season. Because instead of God coming as a judge, He comes as a saviour. Instead of coming to condemn the world, He comes to save the world. Instead of coming in power to execute the death sentence, he is born in weakness to receive that death sentence in our place. That's why in verse 78, Zechariah praises God for his merciful compassion. You see, the stars shine all the more brightly against the darkest night sky. The light of Jesus radiates because of the darkness that precedes him. Christmas is the day of great joy, but it should have been the day of great judgment. The great gift of God's mercy is magnified against the backdrop of our sin. That's why Zechariah is praising God. Because God will visit us. And God will save us. And for all of us who trust in Jesus, we know that He has visited us, hasn't He? He has saved us in the life, the death, and the resurrection of King Jesus. I wonder as you read this song, if you notice right in the middle the grand purpose for which God has saved us. I mean, why Christmas? Why was Jesus born? What's the point of it all? Well, we find the answer at the end of verse 73 and into verse 74. Look with me. He has given us the privilege, since we've been rescued from the hand of our enemies, to serve Him 
without fear, in holiness and righteousness, in His presence all our days. Why has God saved us in Jesus? That we might serve Him all our days. I mean, that's exactly the same reason why Yahweh redeemed Israel out of Egypt all those years ago. Let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. And God has saved us in Jesus so that we might worship him all our days. Do you see, friends, as you read this passage, as you read this prophecy, Zechariah is showing us that the only response to the mercies of God is to praise him, is to bless him is to worship Him, is to serve Him forever. If you're not a Christian, I want you to know that the only response to God's gift of mercy is to live our lives in thanks to Him. And to do anything less than to accept that gift or praise Him for His mercy is to cheapen the priceless gift of His Son. For God's mercy is so good a gift that it would be tragic and even sinful for us to reject it. For if God's gift to us is His mercy, then our gift to Him must be our praise. Christmas reminds us of the reason why you and I have been saved by God. So that we might glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. So that we might give Him all the praise and all the worship that He deserves so that when we look at Jesus, the bright and morning star, that dawn of a new day forever, we might respond in praise and serve Him all our days. You know, so often when we come to church, we come with any number of assumed questions in our mind, don't we? Some of us will come to church asking the question, what's one new thing that I can learn about God today from the Bible? Great question to ask. Others of us will come and ask, what now must I do? How now must I live? And if you're that second type of person, the way that you're probably going to listen to sermons is you'll hear the intro, kind of zone out in the middle, and pop out at the end and go, okay, Adam, tell me what three Ps do I need to now enact in my life this week? But I've been struck as I read my Bible by how many parts of the Bible, just like this one, call you and I to do nothing else but praise God. Isn't it amazing? Because it's actually out of a heart of praise that flows a life of devotion. Here at Cross and Crown, we are reaching our world to know, love, and live for Jesus. But if your heart does not love Jesus, your life cannot honor Him. And the best indicator of your spiritual health is actually not your outward devotion, but your inward praise. So I wonder, are your prayers filled with petition, asking for things, but devoid of praise? Do you find yourself only ever asking God, do something else? Or actually are you praising Him for all that He's already done? I mean, when was the last time that you did nothing in your prayers, but simply praise God for His mercy? And when you come to church and you're forced to praise God when you sing, do you actually really mean it? 
Or did you praise Him out of sheer duty rather than uncontainable joy? You see, praise will only fill our prayers if it first fills our hearts. And I suspect that for many of us, particularly those of us who have been Christians for a long time, our joy in Jesus may have faded. Our love for the Lord may have grown cold. And instead of feeling that uncontainable joy, our hearts are unmoved by the mercies of God. For many of us, the gospel has become nothing more than an old Christmas present that excited us at first, but now collects dust on the top shelf. And worse still, we actually allow our hearts to be entertained by the fleeting pleasures of this world. Yep, just like Zechariah, we sing praises. But unlike Zechariah, we sing the praises of everything other than God. We, we praise our relationships and our marriages, extolling them as somehow the supposed answer to our deepest longings. We praise our careers and success, thinking that they will give us the peace that only Jesus can give. We even praise ourselves, presuming to be better kings of our lives than the Lord Jesus Christ. But God has not enlarged His mercies to us so that we might direct our praise to another. He has given us His mercy so that we might give Him our praise. You see, friends, if your heart has grown cold, if your joy in Jesus has faded, Luke is inviting you this day to join in Zechariah's prophecy of praise. He is beckoning you to respond to God's great gift of mercy in thankfulness, worship, praise and joy. He wants to rekindle in your heart a love for the Lord. He wants your heart to be strangely warmed. There's still one week to go or so before Christmas comes around. And that means for some of you here that there's still one week of bad Santas to play. And if you want to avoid your gift being stolen, contain your joy. Because if everyone sees just how much you love your gift, I can promise you they're coming for it. But when it comes to God's gift to us, when it comes to the mercies of God, my gosh, everything is different. Because God's mercy is a gift so good that to contain our joy would actually be wrong. And we should want everyone, everyone to see just how much we love God's gift so that they will want it too. Josiah contained his joy because he didn't want the rest of us to steal his beloved mini vacuum cleaner. But friends, we want to sing God's praises to the world because we want everyone to share in the gift of his mercy. The gospel is a gift that can be infinitely shared but never stolen. Or in the words of that famous missionary martyr, Jim Elliot, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. May we join Zechariah in his prophecy of praise. May the only words that pour forth from our mouths be to the praise of his glorious grace. Let's pray.
God of all compassion, we praise you for the gift of your great mercy, for visiting and saving your people and forgiving our sins in Jesus Christ. May we serve you without fear, in holiness and righteousness, in your presence, all our days. Amen.